Hey, I'm Lindsay Zarniak, and this is Players, conversations with artists and athletes about their interest in sports and music and really just life in general. Uh, Rising star Jimmy Allen is my guest for this episode, and he left me with so much to think about. I have to give you the context behind uh, this story and how I ended up sitting with Jimmy, right? So a year ago, honestly, I hadn't even heard of him. Okay, so once he came onto my radar and one of my friends was telling me about him, I did my research and I learned he is a huge sports fan. I didn't know then, though, how much in reality he had used sports to really craft and build his career, right? But this all came to be back in November because I was in Nashville and it was CMA week. And I went to a, a party that was thrown by the record label Broken Bow Records. And that's who Jimmy's label is. And when I was there... A lot of artists that were working with that label were performing on stage. They had a few minutes to get up there and sing. And when Jimmy got up there, he literally brought the house down. I mean, it wasn't even the song that he sang, Best Shot, which is a huge hit now, but it also just was the way he commanded that stage. He got up there. You could feel the energy inside that room change. So I knew that this guy was really interesting. And then right after he was done performing, his record label presented him with an award because his song was about to hit number one, which meant that he was about to become the first black artist to have his first single hit number one, right? So that was amazing. But when they presented presented him with this award, Jimmy broke down. He lost it on stage. He was literally weeping. And in that moment, I remember thinking, I have to talk to this guy and I have to know why that is the reaction. If there's one question I ask him, that's what I need to know. So finally, I was able to have that conversation with Jimmy and it happened in kind of a random way. His star rose so fast that literally a few months ago, he was asked to co-host the fourth hour of the Today Show with Kathy Lee Gifford, which happened to be her last week on the show, right? So Jimmy carved out time to sit with me to do this conversation in his dressing room after he got done hosting. So forget the fact that he had been up at like 5 a.m. anyway, but he was cool enough to sit down with me. Um, when he described the story, though, behind how that song Best Shot was born, I was hooked and I was on the edge of my seat. It was so interesting. But that's not all, because I've already told a lot of my friends about this conversation. He described his approach to improving, also about making it in his craft. And I really believe that it is perspective that anybody can use in their life. Anyway, such a fan of this guy. I hope you enjoy Jimmy Allen. Try not to like this fella. It's so awesome to be talking with you because I've wanted to do this for a while after watching you and then, I mean, seeing the the success oh. that to me feels like overnight, Thank right, you. for you, but it's not. Yeah, it feels like forever. Really? <laughs> really? Yeah. Why? Because I started the music thing seriously about three years before moving to Nashville and then I got to Nashville in 07 and I didn't get a record deal until 2017. So for me, I remember when I first moved to Nashville, I lived in this trailer with no electric for a month or so. Then I lived in my car for four months. And then I remember at one point, I was writing songs from 9 in the morning until 3, then working at Bonefish Grill from 4 to 10, then working at Walmart overnight stock from 11 until 6 in the morning. So it was rough. I was a janitor uh, at a middle school, worked for waste management, uh, collected trash, personal trainer, nutritionist. Uh, I got hired as a mechanic. But they fired me six hours later, and they figured out I knew nothing about cars. Oh, no. I kind of, like, BS my whole way through the uh, <laughs> interview process. I said a few words that might trigger. Man, he knows what he's talking about. I've said, never, like, chassis. Yeah, I right? said that. I've said, you know, I said, uh, I think I said something about the uh, uh, the belt on the, on, the, on the alternator one time. I used those words. Uh, you know, see, I threw oil change out a bunch of times. I've never even changed a tire before in my life. <laughs> 
But you know, <laughs> so how did they deliver the news? They're oh, like, they Jimmy. said, they said, they was like some country boy. They said, listen, boy, we love you, man, but you know nothing about cars. Uh, we need somebody to answer the phone. So I answered the phone for like six weeks. Oh my god! Because every six months I would switch jobs because. Um, I feel like after six months you become comfortable you become used to it so every about four and a half months into five months I would start putting applications for new jobs because I never wanted to get comfortable because my ultimate dream was music and I didn't want to let any amount of money or uh, anything being comfortable keep me and distract me from from chasing a dream so did you at any time when you were a kid think that this would be like where you'd be I mean you just walked off the set co-hosting with Kathy Lee mm -hmm. that's I pretty mean, crazy right. the funny thing is actually yes I actually believe that this day would happen I didn't know how I would get here or when but I knew you know if I kept working hard trying to meet as many people as I can be good to people uh, and try to find ways to not only get better as a musician but also as a man eventually I'd, I'd, I'd have an opportunity to take a swing at something so. when did that start I mean, when did that come into your mind this <laughs> I was is what like you wanted eight. to do Eight or nine. Uh, I grew up doing music. I was a drummer first in church, and then I started playing piano, and then uh, started playing. Then I started singing, really playing guitar, and then I got into like musical theater in like middle school and high school, and after that, and did a little stand up comedy for a while. So I've always loved being on stage and like find trying to find ways to like just entertain. It's 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 fun. Yeah. What what kind of impact has sports had? on your life for me sports is, is huge in my life like you figure my dad played ball uh my brother got drafted by the mets played with them for a little bit uh uh you know got family members and uh that that you know few played nba nfl got friends and it's, it's always been around me and just the level of dedication and amount of work that athletes have to put in to make it to that level is is it, it's 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 insane so i'm like if i can dedicate my work ethic in music to what they do in sports, I'll be battle tested. You know, I'll be able to, 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 to kind of withstand, you know, no's and, and different distractions and things that might come along on the way to, uh, to success. So you were like doing two a days with those jobs mm -hmm. when you, when you're working like six yep. jobs in 24 yeah, hours. Yeah, I was doing two jobs and then I used to work out. Um, but when I'm in town, I try to still do with like, Cortland Finnegan, Eddie George, Keith Bullock, Chris Hope, like a lot, Kerry Williams, a lot of those football players are like yeah. buddies of mine. So I would train with them. Like uh, Jason McCorder did just won the Super Bowl with his brother. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He played Definitely. for the Titans. So me and him became friends in Nashville and we worked out together every morning. And for me, that kind of really started my day. Like I'd work out with those guys and then I would take that same intensity and apply it to my aggressiveness when chasing down publishers and managers and uh, record labels. What does that look like? Morning start. I get up. I'm a morning person anyway. Okay. So like I, what time are you talking? About? Uh, I like to. I like to. I'm up. I'm like I'm awake at like five forty-five. I get out of bed by like six fifteen, six thirty. You know, okay. get my coffee. Look out at the world. I feel like an old man. You know, I don't read the paper, <laughs> but I scroll Twitter. I mean, uh, yep, yep, <laughs> Twitter yep. is today's newspaper. Uh, I scroll Twitter. Um, kind of figure out what my objectives and my goals are that I want to accomplish that day. Um, whether it's the amount of emails I want to respond to, whether it's radio liners I want to do, whether it's uh, another page in my book I'm working on, whether it's another thing for a music video, um, I try to map that out through the day in between writing and shows and like radio interviews and stuff I got to do. Where'd you get that? Like, where'd you get that kind of um, intensity and discipline? I think a mix young, between but that's, you know. my dad. My dad was, uh, he was a Marine. Um, but he also plays sports, so that the discipline thing came from there. My mom is just very, 
my mom's driven, driven and focused. And, and, and ever since I was a kid, you know, they both always taught me there's no gray area. Either when you want to do something, you have to do it or you don't. If you want to be a musician and you want to be a songwriter and it's 5, five 6 p.m. and you ain't wrote a song that day, you don't want to be a singer. You know, it's it's like that. That's I'm very cut and dry. It's very yes or no. Because at the end of the day, people make people that say there's a gray area make excuses because uh, excuses have been accepted and adopted into into today's society. To where it's like, well, you know, I really want to do it, but then they'll list off lift off list off all these reasons why they can't. And I'm just sitting there like, yeah, whatever, 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 do it. You want to be a football player? Why aren't you in the gym? Why aren't you working out? Why aren't you you working on routes? You know, I feel like you should should always be doing something to uh, 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 propel your career forward. So. so you talk about sports. I mean, and when you talk about your process, I think about LeBron mm -hmm. because to me, you know, his work ethic, mm -hmm. I think is, is insane and great, yeah. right? Like a lot of others out there. But how, how do you compare that in music? You know, like what, what does it take? What kinds of things do you end up doing like sports to have to be the best at what you do i think it one it takes you got to be honest with yourself are you good or are you not good and then you if and you need to focus more on your weaknesses than your strengths because i feel like strengthening your weaknesses are what's going to propel you past everyone else so i realized i need to become a better songwriter so i spent more because naturally on stage i've always felt natural on stage as far as entertaining so to me that came easy but songwriting and being focused on crafting the right song is what I had to put work into. So that's what when athletes go to the gym, they were like well, LeBron or Kobe or whatever would work on their jump shot if they feel their jump, not, jump shot needs improvement. Or if your left hand needs improvement. For me, my left hand and my jump shot was songwriting. Um, uh, just the, the lyrical side of it. Um, so I, I, I would read a lot more books and study different genres of music and kind of see how they took words and kind of painted a picture. So since it was hard for me to do that, I did the reverse thing where I would watch a lot of movies and TV and take the picture and, uh, and downgrade it to lyrics. So that, that's, 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 that's what Can I would do. Can you give me an example? All right, for instance, there's a song I got called um, uh, American Heartbreaker. Mm -hmm. um, I was a huge fan of Peter Pan. Peter Pan... If you watch it, you know, the underlining message is he don't want to really be tied down with anything, not friends or love, because Wendy was in love with Peter Pan. You just took Peter Pan, which is my favorite Disney movie, and took it, like, way yeah. deep. Yeah, he didn't want to... I wanna, never thought about it that he, way. he didn't want to be boggled down with anything. He had the Lost Boys. He'd fly it and fly out. He had Wendy. And then do whatever he wanted. And do whatever he wanted. And you figure you got Wendy, who was in love with Peter, and by I the way. And I always wanted that love story to play yeah. out. But Peter wasn't interested. He was more worried about the adventure and having fun. So he unintentionally broke hearts you know what i mean without wanting to like he loved them but he broke their hearts unintentionally and the song american heartbreaker i took that as really about a girl that just wants to have fun and have a good time you know the the lyric of the song is if you were a song you'd be an anthem sweet home alabama blah 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 and the chorus goes into when you slide on over like steel guitar shine like the wheels in a muscle car red white beautiful baby you are an american heartbreaker this guy is pouring his heart out describing this woman that he can't have because she doesn't want to be boggled down and i got that from peter pan does it just hit you when you're watching it one time? Mm-hmm. Like, I sit there and watch it. I, I try to... There's always underlining messages to everything. You know, um, I just started a song a week ago. Um, um, it's about addictions. Not sure what to call it yet, but, for instance, when you watch A Star is Born, you know, you see a girl that finds a guy that takes her career to the next level, but there's three underlining stories in that. You have how 
in the beginning, Gaga's character talked about not being able to chase her dreams because people's opinions of her nose. You know, how people's opinions sometimes, if you're not strong enough, can stop you from chasing your dream. But yet, when she met Bradley's character, how the support of the right person in your life and how it always takes one champion to believe in you can give you the confidence you need to rocket ship you into your career. But also, as the story unfolds, you see how your addictions with Bradley's character can stop you from being with the person that you have in your life to where how your addictions can stop you from being the support system you need to help someone else chase their dream. And that's what always like motivated me in music was my, the fear of my siblings giving up on their dreams because I gave up on mine is what kept me going. So in the same breath, you can support someone like Bradley's character did for Lady Gaga, but yet your addictions can kill that support and you end up ruining two lives instead of one. Wow. When you're talking about your siblings and that, what what was it that gave you that motivation? Was that just sort of an innate thing because you're the older brother? Yeah, or? just knowing they were watching me, you know, because I have two sisters older and a brother older and I have two younger sisters. Um, so I would always, always looked up to my older brother and my older sisters. Um, but then I had two siblings younger than me and I have a lot of little cousins and stuff and I've kind of in the family always been the, like my uncle Carlos, my mom's brother, the one they call it the trailblazer that'll just go out, mm-hmm. move wherever to do whatever. And I know my sisters had dreams, but they were kind of lacking that confidence and, and hasn't really seen anyone kind of really chase it and make it happen. So I knew they were watching me. So I'm like, man, if I quit, who are they going to look up to? They'll quit and end up settling. And I can't do that. And the guilt and the level of responsibility I would feel for them giving up on their dreams would haunt me. So I was like, I got to <laughs> I gotta keep going. So I remember I moved to Nashville in 07. My sister wanted to move and be a chef. My sister finally moved down to Nashville. The one that's like a year younger than me moved down in 2011. Then after wow. that, my son was born in 2014. Then my mom and my uh, youngest sister moved down afterwards. So... It's about always having people in your life that kind of set a bar. Like I call them uh, pillars of of, uh, confidence and and inspiration. Mm -hmm. You know, and I didn't realize that um, until one day I was, you know, talking to a buddy of mine and talking to a pastor and kind of pointing out things in my life that I was doing that people were looking at without even realizing I was building confidence for them. And it's cool, you know, when you're made aware of uh, 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 how your dream is not just your dream. You know, you have so many people looking wow. at you what what did he say what were things that you had done that you think made an impact um not one not quitting uh mm-hmm. going out of my way to be to be nice to people um and just 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 always giving words of encouragement and not just saying you're going to do great because so many people say you can do it chase your dream chase your dream but yet you see them doing nothing so how can you tell me to chase my dream if you're not chasing yours that's a horrible example you yeah. know what I mean so and you're not listening to to naysayers mm-hmm. or I was just talking to my friend Logan about I think in our in my business in the TV industry it's like expectations even that other people have can can get into your mm-hmm. head too right and it's oh. like at some point you realize you just got to follow what exactly you want to do yeah you got to you got to you got to block all that out because it's, but it's hard day, man yeah everybody's quick to give their opinion on what you should do yeah but they don't have to deal with the success or the failures and i was lucky enough to have two parents in my life that were just able to just say hey listen your life screw what everybody else talking about 
what do you want to do? And I run into that every day, you know, whether it's, you know, things with what I should do about my brand or about, you know, uh, 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 my music or my shows. At the end of the day, if my career goes well, that's great. And everybody can live, have success off of it. But if it doesn't, my career's done and the label can go sign another act. So at the end of the day, people care, but nobody really cares. <laughs> it's just facts like nobody really cares so <laughs> you know? so you gotta do you which yeah. I, i've got five million questions for you but i so i read where you you had a quote and i was like that is i love that and you said something to the effect of you've got to be you and you've got to be annoyingly you mm -hmm. right you have to like every person we look up to that's successful whether it's picasso jay-z td jakes uh michael jordan kobe bryant uh, Garth Brooks, FGL, Eminem, Kanye West, they're all themselves. You know, what makes them special is them being them. Like, no one has your view of the world but you. So how can someone that's not in your shoes tell you the best way to represent yourself to reach the people who are interested in you? They can't. Only thing they can do is give a little bit of opinions, and your job is to sift through their opinions and sift through the input and 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 and, and grab what best fits you and uh and the journey you're on and that's what people need to realize is it's less about people telling you what to do mm -hmm. more about finding people that are willing to give you honest feedback on yourself critique it and then apply what fits in your journey because everybody's journey is different i guarantee you every artist every manager every label every whatever is telling every artist the same thing you should do this you should do this you should do this and then you can see by the reflection of the careers which artists listen and which one don't because if every artist if every label every manager knew what they were doing you wouldn't have a label or a manager with 10 artists and only two is successful because obviously the two that are successful have found a way to apply the advice that's been given to what they do. Not change who they are, change what they do, but just add to it. And I think that's the, 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 the most important part no matter what, no matter what your uh, career path is. When you were living in the car trying to make it, what were you thinking then? I mean, and did you come close to, to giving up or to just pivoting? Yeah, I thought about it. But I was like, nah, I literally, I'm crazy. Like, I literally, <laughs> I literally used to, at Joseph, his I, friend, I'm his, crazy. his manager. I used to lay in my car and daydream and think about where I'm at now. Like, for instance. This, and what kind of car was it? A this, Chevy Malibu. Okay. The, 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 the stage show I have now with my drummer and a drum riser here, uh, the backdrops with my logo and stuff and the light show and the transitions and the songs. I built that when I was living in my car. Now I'm dreaming of my show for amphitheaters. I have that. And then I started last week putting together my stage show for my arena show. So I feel like being prepared is the one of the biggest key mo the key uh, key items in success because what happens is when your opportunity comes, it comes and it doesn't wait for you. You're either ready or you're not. And if you're not ready, phew, it goes on to someone else. Like for instance, you know, I played the Today show back when it was October for the first time, I played my song Best Shot. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I, I always try to speak to everyone. I don't care if it's the security guard, the homeless guy on the street, or the producer of the show. Because at the end of the day, we're all people. Um, speak to everyone. And, and, and then 
But one of the producers, she asked me, hey, what do you want to do? What else? I said, I, I like to co-host. She said, you want to come back and co-host? She said, sweet, come back next week. And I did the guys, the guys tell all thing. I co-hosted. But if I hadn't prepared myself when I was younger, I wouldn't be able to kind of jump into it with the confidence. Not saying I'd be perfect or won't be. There's always room for improvement. But just saying I wouldn't have had the confidence to do it. Because I remember when being a kid, I used to sit and watch VH1 Behind the Music. Mm-hmm. And I would yes, sit in my chair next to the TV and answer the questions that the, that, that, that the interviewer was asking the artist. And then I would sit there and watch morning TV and act like I was a host with the rest of the people on stage. Like I would have my own questions for the artist. And I had this little TV, this little fake microphone. And I'd, I'd ask my questions and hold it to the TV. Of course they didn't answer. If they would answer my question through the TV, I'd be a little freaked out. And I'd be in a circus right now, not doing music. Uh, but, Whole but, different podcast. Yeah, I just feel like it's about being prepared. And prepared isn't really about knowing it all. It's about having the confidence to step into something and be willing to get better without your pride or your ego kind of getting in the way. So in the moments where you were dreaming those things in the car, mm-hmm. what was the toughest moment like? What was that like sleeping in there? and Cold, because it was November, uh, November 07, from November to Man. like, was it March? In mid-March, in March, something like that. Um, that was the hardest part, but I don't sleep for long. I get to the car about like 12, Mm-hmm. Sleep to about four thirty five in the morning. I was working at a gym, so I get there early, wash my clothes, eat, work out, and then just work my shift at the snack bar. But I met so many cool people. Like uh, I grew up a huge Montgomery Gentry fan, so I met T Roy from from Montgomery Gentry. Uh, rest in peace. Um, became good friends with him. Uh, I met Nikki Taylor and her husband Barney. Uh, I met Joe Nichols. Became real good friends with uh, Rodney Atkins and Brady Shields from a Little you Texas. Just met him around and town. Or met him at the gym. I was making their their, uh, their sandwiches and their smoothies at the gym. So I met him. Yeah, we just spark up a conversation and and they just gave me their phone number. Said, "Hey, let's hang out sometime." Just gave me their number. Like it was the weirdest so thing. So what in the world. do they think about this? What it's you pretty hear? cool. Wow. You know, yeah. I, I, I still talk to uh, um, uh, uh, Brady. Still talk to Aaron Benner from. Blue County. I still talk to Rodney Atkins, and uh, they said they're proud of me. You know, they you know they they say they saw something in me, a determination of fire. That's said that's what they made. That's what made a lot of them want to just give me their number and extend their friendship because they felt like I wasn't someone that was trying to mooch and because I never asked them for anything. I never asked them to play my music for anyone. I was just trying to soak up as much information and as much experience from them as I could. I would ask tons of questions about okay, how'd you get from here to here. How'd you deal with family life here? How'd you deal with no's? How'd you just trying to learn as much as I can to, 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 to fill up my arsenal so that way when I got here and I stepped into the same place they're at, I can learn and move forward at the same time, have the same willingness in the heart to help someone else that's where I used to be. How did Best Shot come to be? Um, so I was writing with two buddies of mine, JP and Josh, and I always listen to the radio. I'll flip the radio station. I'll listen 30 seconds of each radio station, different genres, and try to find different melodies and stuff. And, mm-hmm. and then the uh, the chorus, first line of chorus and melody just hit me, the part that, when you smile and see sun sink down on the coast out of California. Didn't know where that was going to go. But again, I'm a visual person, and I could actually see the sun setting in California, and I could see the silhouette of a girl while I was singing this song. So... I get to the right, and I say, hey, guys, I got this idea. And we had another co-writer there. And, and he was like, yeah, I'm not feeling it, but y'all can come back and <laughs> and, and write it yourself. I don't think any of that happened. So it went from being, could have been four writers to three, which is better for royalty splits 
anyway. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> is that a common thing too? Like if someone's just not feeling it, you just kind of pass oh yeah, you just say, you, you just pass and say I'm out. Okay. But it's all good. So we came wow. back and I just had this idea and I said let's just keep it. And I was like, goes down in California and we're trying to find words to rhyme. And I'm a no rules person. I'm like do what makes the song better. So we were trying to find one words that rhymed with California. I said, well, why not? Yeah. It was like yeah. Because they're very Nashville. They're the co-writers. They've been in Nashville a long time. So they got the Nashville rules. Yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. screw all that. I said, Real, yeah, rhymes. I said, when I was before you. He said, they was like, can you do that? I said, it's our song. We can do whatever the heck we want to do. So then that's what we came up with that line. And then um, I, I remember I was on Twitter. I always like to get on Twitter and whatever, look for quotes and see what people posted. Then um, a girl had posted a picture that said, uh, of her body She said I'm not perfect But I'm happy with who I am That's what I was like Ooh I said what if it says I'm not saying That I'm perfect Oh girl You know I'm not Then JP yelled out But I love you With everything I got I give you my best shot And best shot was actually a joke We were like We can't sing that It was like Why can't we Next thing you know We got a chorus So it kind of just Flows I like to be open To all avenues Of, of, of inspiration you know, you, you, you can't really <laughs> like, like that is such a cool story. shut anything off, you know, because you can yeah. pull inspirations from everything and anything. You know, I remember when I was chasing a music dream and stuff like that, I would I have a so since I live in my car, I have a soft spot for like homeless people. So mm-hmm. naturally do this thing called people love in Nashville where they take time on Monday nights and bring food and clothes to people that are homeless under this bridge. And, and I was doing that. And uh, a pastor said to me, he said, Jimmy, there's no difference between you chasing a music dream and the person on the street asking for a dollar. And I was like, hmm, well, how do you mean? He said, think about this. You want a publisher or a label to sign you, right? I said, yeah, he said, and when they sign you, they're giving you money, correct? He said, you're asking, you're hoping someone invests anywhere from $100,000 to a million dollars into your career. You're begging. You're no difference than the person on the street that we so easily step over. He said, the only difference is the person on the street is asking for a lot less. And he said, keep that mentality and that'll keep you humble. And I was like, Jesus, that's deep. <laughs> I was like, we're, everybody out here chasing a music dream or chasing any type of dream, we're begging. Because we want to do something. We're asking for people to give us money. We're saying an opportunity, but we don't want the opportunity because opportunity is a job and the job pays. So we're all beggars. You know what I mean? If you think about it, we're... Hey, there's a song. We're, we're all beggars. I'm going to write that. We're no different than the person oh, on yeah. the street. You know what I mean? So, you know, I, you know, always, whoever's listening... That just I, gave me chills. Yeah, I, I would have, love for you to write that song. I have a challenge to whoever's listening. I always keep... I remember I was in my car. I didn't eat for a day. Two days, actually, and a guy gave me a dollar. And that dollar... I went to McDonald's, got me chicken, ate half on Wednesday, half on Thursday. That dollar changed my life. So now, purposely, I keep $2 in my pocket. And by the end of every day have to give it away because you never know how a dollar can change someone's life and then if i don't have any cash whenever i see someone on the street or when i give them money i just throw it at them give it to them i shake their hand and i ask them their name because they already feel beneath you because one they're physically beneath you they're sitting down or they're in their car and you're high in your truck or whatever looking down on them and they're asking you for money and in that name it's crazy how your name builds confidence you know what I mean? That's why a lot of Greek mythology movies and, and stuff like that, names are important. Because your name is where your pride comes from. Uh, your memories and, and things you reach are attached to your name. So that's why I ask people their name. And and this one guy, we were doing the people of Nashville, he said, man, when, when you asked me my name, that made me feel like a human again. So even if I don't have money, I get their name. 
I and and when I say my prayers, it's easy to remember someone you have their name. So you to forget someone if you throw a dollar and keep it moving. They'd probably rather you keep the dollar than just throw it at them like that, you know. So yeah. get the dollar, shake their hand, get the name, and people say you worry about germs. I said, for what? I was like, people killing me these days with hand that people shake people's hands and got a hand sanitized. I'm like, right. that's so weird. Hand sanitizer came out how long ago? A couple four or five years has been a thing. And you have a kid, and it's yeah, like all we that goes grew out the window up anyway. Yeah, in the dirt, playing in dirt, changing cars. People, the same people that go up and down about uh, hand sanitizers will go bowling, put their fingers in a bowling ball, eat a slice of pizza, <laughs> but yet want to change, shake their hand when they meet. Think about that. People are weird, man. So like, no, I shake these homeless guys' hand, and I'm like, if you do want to do hand sanitizer, don't do it in front of them. Yeah. Go down the street. But I don't do it. My hands are dirty. It's funny though that you <laughs> right? You're like, just let it be. Yeah. My um my husband did a story on homelessness mm-hmm. for for Dateline and that was one of the things that hit him most. He talked about how being out there in California, he was in Tent City and he was having conversations and that's the one thing that they wanted was just to be seen. Acknowledged. It, it makes you know? it makes um makes a huge Huge difference. <laughs> I was talking to my buddy the other day. He, he got on me about the hand sanitizer. I was like, I don't use that. Man. He said, there's germs. I said, do you wash your hands before you go in the bathroom? He said, no. I said, I do. I said, think about it. People wash their hands after they leave, but they'll take everything they're touched, then go in the bathroom and touch their body with that, and then wash their hands. Yeah, let that sink in. <laughs> I wash my hands before I use the bathroom, not after. And after, not <laughs> yeah. after. No. Yeah. Eh, sometimes it's like, yeah, I wash. I wash them after to be polite. <laughs> not that I think your body's Just dirty. Just in case other people. I'm, like, are, right, I'm right. like, you took a shower. You touch your body. Your your body's cleaner than what you've touched during the day, and you take all isn't, those germs. Isn't that funny when you're a parent? Because um, my my son's five, my daughter's mm-hmm. two. I know your son is going to be five in mm-hmm. June. Um, I saw pictures of them last night, by they, the way. Yes, cute I mean, kids. Yours is cute adorable. Kids. Thank you. Um, but it's funny. There are moments where it hits me, and I'm like, oh yeah, I am the one that has to enforce the hand washing mm-hmm. or the brushing the teeth before you go to bed. And sometimes, you know, it would be so much easier just to let them hop right in. I I just let them hop in. Like, cause I, I grew up in this small town. My dad didn't care. I would literally come out from playing, sit down and eat, and then go back out. My mom's like, make them wash their hands. My dad was like, why? They're touching their food. And they go back out. It's like, you want us to wash our hands, touch our food, but yet we'll be outside playing in the dirt, hands all in our mouth. You know. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't make him wash his hands. So, well, yeah, when he uses the bathroom, because I try to, to be polite. But for, if he's been outside playing, he wants to come in and eat. Hey. So just anyone take note if you use the, the bathroom after Jimmy, right? Yeah. That it's actually, it's all good. I'm clean. So yes. yeah, people, wash your hands before you go in the bath, before you eat the bathroom. It's better <laughs> um, on your body. So there was a moment that um, I was in Nashville during CMA week, and and this it, I'm actually glad that you shared that story about recognizing people and, and the work that you do with homeless, because I think this is interesting, that story that you told about all of us begging for money. When um, you were performing at the Broken Bow show, mm-hmm. and they, first of all, that was the first time I had seen you perform live, and I was like, wow, that you have such a stage presence. You know that. You've already talked about it, but it was awesome. But then after, the thing that struck me was they presented you there, right, because they knew that your song, your single, was about to go number one. Mm-hmm. And you lost it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, and I'm I, a of guy. At that moment, I was like, A, I hope that I'm able to, to have a conversation like this with you. And if I do, I have to know what like what you're feeling in that moment and what that is like and why. It's because one, you know, you work hard, 
and you want to get somewhere in life. For instance, they said I'm the first male, solo male artist to have a three-week number one since Blake Shelton Austin in 2001. And when I look back at my life in 2001, I was in high school. Uh, 9-11 happened that year. I mean, we were in the library hanging out. And I'm just living my life thinking about this music dream. Who would have known 17 years later I would be the first male artist to um, tie his 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 accomplishment? So you think about that. But then you get flooded with emotions of everything you've sacrificed to get where you are. You know, uh, you know my grandma uh, was so important to me. That's her purple scarf right there. Um, she would always wear That's this. That's her purple scarf? Yeah, so my grandma, she died in 2014, a few months before my son was born, so that wrecked me. But she would always wear this purple scarf every time we went fishing and went to pick strawberries. So every show, every interview, I always have grandma's scarf for me. So I think about my grandma, you know, wishing she was here. Um, I think about the opportunity I have to, to create a, a, a example and a path for my son. Um, I think about everyone else out there that's, uh, you know, chasing a dream. You know, I think about family members that gave up their dream for me, like my mom and my dad. You know, um, uh, 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 my mom was a great writer for, like, poems and books and stuff like that. But she gave it up when she got pregnant so she could focus on being a mother. So you just think about how many people kind of poured into your success and then I'm an emotional guy anyway. Then it just it, It's very, it'll overwhelm you, you know. And when I figured that out, I was excited to be the first black artist to launch a career in country and have a debut single go number one. And I was excited, but at the same time, a little disappointed and sad because I'm like, here we are 2019 and we're still talking about color in a genre, you know. To every other genre, doesn't matter. Christian, doesn't matter. Rap, doesn't matter. Uh, blues, jazz, folk, color's not an issue. So my thing is, my task quickly went from celebrating because when I had number one, I didn't really celebrate. I just I found out, dropped him in the east, thank God, what's next? How do I change the narrative? How do I challenge myself? Kane Brown, Nicky Guyton, Darius, uh, Cowboy Troy, um, Charlie Pride, all the things he's accomplished, and every other black artist to keep digging down and be ourselves. If you want to do country, be your, keep doing it. So hopefully in two or three years from now, black's not a thing. You're just an artist. There's nothing else to accomplish as a black artist in country music. Once it's all done, nobody's going to say, you're the second black artist, the third black artist, mm -hmm. to where it just becomes a thing. You know, you accomplish this. And and that's really um, what it, what it, where I, I shifted because I already have a hard time like celebrating and being in the moment when I accomplish something. I'm always, okay, what's next? What's next? What's next? So I went from, man, I'm excited. This is great. Okay, cool. How do we change this narrative? Because again, it's, it's bigger than me. You know, um, when we look back 30, 40 years from now and people see first top five or top black artists to come in a genre and do something, my dad said, my name, I'll be one of them. So it's like, how do I set up uh, a path or a road for people to be comfortable in this genre and not only just me be comfortable in yourself because I feel like representation is huge no matter what your career path is it's a lot easier when you see someone that looks like you that did it you know because mm -hmm. ever since I was a kid you're always told anybody you can be president well that was cool but until Obama became president um, it wasn't really something you see so my thing went from finding representation to if you don't see one find the confidence to step out and be that representation for for someone else 
So I represent all the all the black rednecks from small towns. So. <laughs> Shout out to all my black rednecks out there. What up, boys? What up, girls? <laughs> so what's what's next? What is Man, next? I got a ghost in here. Y'all see that light going I on? I did. Oh, it's the slogan who flickered. Right. Um, those are those are your brethren. <laughs> they right are. Hey. I, I hear you, man. What what is next in terms of that trailblazing? I mean, like what what is the next step in doing that? In um, keeping that going, just keep being myself. You know, um, show that color doesn't really matter. You know, we. You have people that like to fish, people that like to play basketball, people that like to golf, people that are interested in math and being a doctor everywhere, and we all look different. My thing is just to keep showing examples how we're a lot more alike than we are different. And that's something I've, I've realized, and I'll show you this picture too, something I've realized in music because, you know, media has a way to, they got to do what sells, you know. So if they can find ways to, you know, say, for instance, the, the police thing that goes on. You know, mm-hmm. it's horrible when you have cops that shoot on black guys. There are also cops that shoot on white guys and Mexicans. But a white cop shooting a white guy is not newsworthy. You know, um, so 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 trying to find ways to just show there's a lot more love out there than hate. And that's what I realized. So I played a, a show with Chris Rock. And not Chris Rock. Kid Rock. And I seen his fan base before I went on stage. I was like, oh, God. You know, you can judge a book by its cover. And then my band, you know, they're white guys. They walk out there, hold their drinks, everybody's screaming. I'm like, oh, my backstage. Like, man, when they see my black face, <laughs> when they see Where my- Where was the show? Uh, somewhere in Tennessee in, like, White House or something like that. I was like, man, when they see my Michael Jordan face coming from around this corner, they are going to be upset. <laughs> but they screamed. Like, the crowd loved the whole show. And then this guy came up to me. You know, when you judge a book by its cover, this guy looked like he hung a black guy that day. <laughs> That's what he looked like. <laughs> but he came up to me, had a meet and greet about 100 people, came up to me. He said, Jimmy, me and my wife love your music. We knew every song. He named lyrics from the song. Oh, my goodness. And this is the guy right here. So Everything I post on Facebook, wow. he comments, he shares it. Um, any show in Tennessee, he comes out to all the shows and stuff like that. So it just to me, that just goes to show there's a lot more love out there. You know, the five to four to five percent of hatred and racism that the world likes to focus on. It's not really that big of a deal because I'm like, somebody that really hates black people they ain't coming to my show, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. And doing the tour with Kane Brown. It, they said that was the first time that two black country artists went on tour together. Mm-hmm. I'm like, look, look at this arena. It's full of ten to twelve thousand white people coming to see two black guys. Like, yeah. and me and Kane said that, like, let, let that sink in, bro. You got ten thousand more people here to see Kane than me. Ten thousand white people here to see Kane, a black guy in this world that people claim is full of racism, mm-hmm. and it's not true. So my thing is just to keep promoting love and give examples that the world's a lot more loving uh, and accepting than um, <clears throat> than you might think. We um, I caught up with Kane up in Connecticut when he was performing there. Yeah, and I mean, the fans, they were... Crazy. Rabid. Yeah, he's a country Justin oh, Bieber. It's, but it's so fascinating the way that he's done it, you mm-hmm. know, and the, the social aspect of his rise. I mean, it is mind-blowing. He's a good guy. Like, Kane yeah. is one of the nicest. He's soft-spoken He's soft spoken at first, so mm-hmm. people might think he didn't want to talk to you. He's just shy. But then once he lets you in, he talks, and I can't get him to shut up. <laughs> but it was great being out there with him and Granger, two of the nicest guys, and 
uh, the crews are nice. Um, so it's, it's 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 just cool to see country finally catching up with the rest of the genres as far as like acceptance and just mm-hmm. being who you are and and being successful because I feel like your talent and love for what you do should be the only thing that people look at when you're chasing a career, no matter what it is. He talked about his pre-show ritual involving a lot of video games. Mm, oh, he loves um, his video games. <laughs> he skips the gym because every day me and Green's like, can you go to the gym? He's like, no, I'm not going really? to the gym. He's oh, got his little funny. his little headset on playing his Xbox either on the bus or like in the green room somewhere. He's funny. He's a cool He's a cool dude. I love talking to, um, to NFL players, you know, or, or whoever it is, NBA baseball, about what they do before a game. Um, what is your ritual before a show? <sighs> Call my mom. Call my mom for every show. Um, uh, 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 I, I call my grandma's phone number. Um, really? Uh, yeah, I, I still call it. Now, if she answers, I'm gonna freak out. So hopefully she don't answer. <laughs> Does she have voicemail? Actually, yeah. Uh, we keep the phone bill paid, so we can just hear her voice. Really? I uh, yeah, call my grandma. Call my son. Uh, me and my band get together and just just talk about life, and we say you know something that we're uh, happy for and that we're excited to be there and thankful for the opportunity. Uh, get me about a half a. You know, everybody does red solo cups. Yeah. I don't do those. I do gold now because everybody does red. So I do gold solo cups. I fill that thing up with about half a maker's mark. And me and my band cheers. And uh, we sit there and just say what we're thankful for. And we cheers, say our prayer, and, and uh, get on stage and, and try to give uh, the crowd a, a, a good time. And each crowd's different. So we'll have a set list, but we don't always follow it because I think it's it's selfish and lazy to assume that every crowd is the same. So we'll have a set list, and if the crowd, I feel like they want more upbeat, get more upbeat. If I feel like I have a section, I have a section for like three or four minutes in my shows now, my full band, sh- my uh, headlining shows where I'll sit and tell jokes for a while. And if they want more jokes, I give them more jokes. Do they want more jokes usually? A lot of times they do, so I give them more jokes. Um, if they want more ballads or more throwback country songs, well, it's our job to entertain them. They pay their hard-earned money that they spend away from their family to come see us. The least we can do is give them a good time. And I feel like it's important. So I, I do my songs, and but every time during the show, I take two or three minutes to kind of talk and talk about being patient and chasing your dream and being good to people and you know spending more time with your grandparents because I feel like it's important to give people something they can use and apply to their life when they leave because that moment is great, but people are dealing with so much outside of the concert. So what can I give to help them apply to their life and and, 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 and kind of give a little inspiration, a little because my shows go from comedy show, entertainment, music show to church service. I feel like it's important to in, inspire, you know, because people have done that for me. That's cool. What is a moment that means the most to you when you're on stage? Um, there was there was an artist I, I talked to, and an athlete actually who was talking about that moment. You know, when you you make the catch and you can't hear anything. Mm-hmm. You cannot hear a thing because you've done it and it's such a big play in a game. Like for you, what is that moment on stage? For me, uh, it's when I see people singing songs, to, singing words and songs that I just sung or when I, I hear them singing Best Shot. Now it's at the point like when I start Best Shot, just a guitar riff, I'll start playing and people just scream. And in that moment, I'm just like, wow. 
<laughs> that's 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 my touchdown for me. That's that's my that's my moment and, and seeing people connect. Like I like to watch the crowd and when I sing a song about the warrior, I wrote about my mom and my grandma and how strong they were and seeing people like grab the woman they're with, whether it's their daughter, their wife, their their mother, whatever, and kinda of pull them close and seeing people have moments within the bigger moment that's the show. Because I feel like that's what it's all about. It's about helping people create moments and memories within the grand scheme. So when I see small capsules of, of, of life happening in the show, that's that's amazing. Just to be able to do that, one, uh, I'm blessed to be able to see it, you know, and to be able to do that, I think it's important that, that we help people create memories and, and things they can, they, can, they can hold on to. You probably already thought of this because I know now that you're such a planner. Um, your Super Bowl moment, what would it be? Um... For me, it would bring a show. I would get my three favorite artists of all time, uh, Lionel Richie, Matchbox 20, and uh, probably uh, my cousin Star, who writes a lot of songs, and kind of have them come out. Um, you know, people get so wrapped up in the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl. Like, everybody gave Maroon 5 crap. But I'm like, Maroon 5 put on a great show. They gave you the concert that they would that you would see if you paid 50 bucks to see them. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So my thing would be just to give people more of me. You know? Like if you actually did the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. that's what you're saying. It'll be you me. The there'll be there'll be a few jokes. Um, there'll be songs for me that that I love. Um, I would probably have like a lion jumping through fire, like some big circus. It would be crazy. Like it would be it would be nuts. <laughs> but it would just try to have fun and just enjoy that moment because that Super Bowl moment. Um, it's not about money because you're not getting paid, but it's about creating a moment for yourself. Being able to quiet the noise of everyone around you and just focus on saying, you know what, this is an achievement. This is something I'm blessed to do. So this is my me moment. How can I enjoy this for me but yet still give someone uh, a, a little inspiration they can use to apply their life? So my show would be a little, be a little funny with some of my greatest artists of all times and, 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 and sing songs I love. Uh, I know you got to run before you go. I'm a Redskins fan. Mm-hmm. I, I know you're an Eagles fan. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about the Eagles' chances this year? We need a running back. We could have got Tevin Coleman from the from the Falcons for ten million dollars. Like everybody was worried about, he was over. Um, he might want too much money. The Forty Nine ers signed him for two years for ten mil. Oh, we need a running back. We need a secondary. Our, our corners are great. They're nice guys, I'm sure. But man, we need some help. Um, hoping Wentz has a good year. I'm hoping just to make the playoffs and kind of take it. Um, Game by game. You know who made a transition real fast? Mm-hmm. The Cleveland Browns might win 11 games this year. Right, right. <laughs> God, they went from being crap to being the crap. You this know what I mean? This is true. Like, they got Odell Beckham now. They got Kareem Hunt. They got Landry. Uh, what's that other running back they got? Uh, they got, who's that quarterback? Um, the um, Baker. Mom. Yeah, we got Baker. Like, Baker Mayfield. Man, they're, they're, they're looking good. I'm just hoping the Eagles can get it together. Uh, hopefully we'll sign somebody soon. Um, hopefully just three teams I want to beat every year. Uh, the Redskins, Cowboys, and Giants. Thank you for that. Thank you. <laughs> Hopefully that doesn't happen this year. But our, the, you know, we've had a we've had a tough mm-hmm. couple decades. Um, we got Deshaun Jackson back, so I'm happy. Yes, and we have we have a quarterback. Yep. Currently, Chip Kelly, the worst co- coach in NFL history. He should have kept his butt in college. He came to our team and released two of the best players for pretty much a bag of chips. 
we got rid of Nick Foles. Not Nick Foles. We got rid of who we get. We let. Oh, we let go Lashawn McCoy mm-hmm. for I heard Kiko Alonso, and Kiko Alonso came and did nothing but take up locker room space. You know what though? <laughs> I think I think the the emotion in football is fascinating. I am so interested to see what happens with Le'Veon Bell in the uh, Jets yeah. and how in the how that goes. But it it sort of goes back to to what you were talking about a little bit. Just you got to manage it all, man. Because when you said McCoy, it's like I remember that that you know he was beef. You, Everyone wants to have respect, mm-hmm. right? And you got to pay them. I hate when people give NFL players crap for they want too much money. People don't understand when their contract says 80 mil, maybe only 30 is guaranteed. Yeah. Well, you know? and that's the whole Le'Veon Bell situation. Yeah. And you can get hurt and never play again. And pay them. Yep. But I think that's fascinating about him because now, that, you know, there's that big article that I just. I'm I just, glad he held out and then go back. Well, but it's interesting because he talks about how many people, and, you know, in, in the article, Still, plenty of naysayers who think that he did the wrong thing. But to your point that you started with, whose life is it? Yep. Right? Yep. And who should say, anyway, yeah. now we're getting on a totally Listen, different. you work hard. You deserve it. Make that money. Like people were asking what I thought about Kevin Hart holding out. I was proud of Kevin for holding out and not hosting the Oscars because I feel like he apologized. How many times do you want someone to apologize? He apologized. And then my thing is, he's a completely different person than he was 10 years ago. Whoever went and found those tweets were literally looking to hurt him. They went back through thousands of tweets to find one thing. He addressed it. He apologized. They wanted him to do it. But you got to stay on your ground. Because when you say, I'm not going to do it, then you go back and do it. You know, no everyone's going to have an opinion. But as long you got to be able to sleep with yourself in that. Because if, if Kevin would have did it, Kevin would have said, man, yeah, I did it. But man, I wish I wouldn't have. I'm glad he. I'm. I'm, I'm glad he had it. It's about finding your truth, you know, and quieting the opinions of others. And, and you have to live with yourself. And at the end of the day, it's not about money. It's not about success. Um, it's not about popular vote. It's about what's going to make you happy. What can you stand on to teach your kids? And that's really what matters. Because if you teach your kids, stay on your ground, stay on your ground, but yet you're always caught folding. What kind of message are you are you are you are you sending? So I just I just hope Kevin did what's best for him, and I think he did. And and that's. Only thing I cheer on for people. Do what's best for you. Yeah. Jimmy Allen, so awesome to talk to you. What's oh, great next? Great talking to you, too. Um, next for you, I got a show in Ohio tonight. About to hop on a plane, go to Ohio. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, about to hop on a plane, go to Ohio. Right. So thanks for having me. It's oh fun. My God. Everybody so, listening, thanks for listening, not just to my podcast, but everything you're doing. It's amazing. Keep listening. Support her and everyone she brings on the show. You're amazing. Thank you. Oh, you're you're such a great dad. It's ah, a whole thanks, separate thanks. podcast. <laughs> um, thank you. Best of luck to you. We can't wait to watch and, and listen. And your future as a stand-up comedian also. <laughs> I think. I truly think he could do that, by the way. Um, or he could write a self-help book. Or he could be a pastor or a million different things. Anyway, thank you so much to my guest, Jimmy Allen. Uh, such an awesome time hanging out with him. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to listen and also subscribe to other great episodes of Players. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget, please leave a review while you're there. I'd love to read it, especially if it's positive. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 and always Bob for their production work. Um, See you next week. Can't wait.